It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by New York Lottery. Thanks so much for tuning in and being with us. He is Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow. Multiple ways you interact with us here on the program. Telephone number 973-667-1960. You can also use hashtag GiantsChat on Twitter, and you could directly interact with the two of us. I'm at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network, Brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So we'll get into an awful lot over these next 60 minutes in terms of Super Bowl 55. Some takeaways there. They announced the Pro Football Hall of Fame class and the unfortunate passing of legendary NFL coach with over 200 victories, Martin Schottenheimer, this morning, who does have direct ties to the New York Giants, former linebackers coach, defensive coordinator. So we'll tackle all of that and more as we move along here over the next 60 minutes. Paul, how's everything on your end? Good morning, Lance. A little bit cold. Uh, I know this is kind of up your alley, but I wish it was just a tad warmer. Another 10 or 15 degrees, it'd be a lot better for my walks. We're also getting supposedly some more snow later on this week. So I'm sure you're very excited about that. I had not seen that. Yes. Well, I just figured I'd make sure that you could mentally... Get prepared for oh, that. what's coming I'd down I'd love to put the shovels away for the season, but that's not going to happen, is it? I would not expect it to be ending anytime <laughs> soon. I'd be well prepared to salt down the sidewalks and so oh forth my. and the driveways. Yes. Okay. You got to understand, Paul, Paul, that Lance is spoiled. He doesn't want to leave his apartment anyway. So he just stays up there, you know. The, not at all. I've been out plenty of times. I like the snow. I don't think there's anything wrong with this. Yeah, snow. but you have, like, the super shoveling your thing for you. You're not shoveling anything. Well, nobody says that you have to do it yourself. You could pay somebody to do it. There's no rule in life that you yourself if have you to have do that. If you have pride, you take care of your own property. That well, is, that's fine. That if somebody correct. asked me to shovel, I'd be more than happy to shovel. Nobody's asked me to do it, you so I'm not going to take on that. Well, that's because you shovel enough all, 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 all year. That's why. <laughs> well, I like four seasons. I like to be able to experience four oh. seasons. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, what did you expect? It to be summer 24-7 in the New York, New Jersey no, metropolitan no, no. area? You know, you, you know what? Honestly, my over-under as a homeowner and I've been one for quite a long time my over under is if i have to break out the shovels more than three times during the winter season it's a little bit like prickly but you know two or three times isn't bad i'm, I'm actually okay i like the four seasons lance you know i, I remember one time being in uh, in arizona for christmas weekend with the giants many years ago on a road trip and they had the christmas tree up with all the ornaments and the the, the presents and everything in the uh, lobby of the hotel and it was like 80 degrees outside and sunny, and it wasn't right. And I, I, don't, I can't do that. I need four seasons. And I always believe, quite frankly, that when your NFL team that you're working with or working around is in the playoffs, there's nothing better than, you know, 20 degrees, 18 degrees for kickoff and being outside with the breath that you can see and all that wonderful uh, uh, cold atmosphere. It's awesome. I love it. I just don't love it when there's not an NFL game and and I'm not around and covering the team. That's all. 
Completely understandable. It is good football <laughs> weather, so that's another positive for the cold weather. Now, you mentioned yes. you like the Four Seasons. Does that mean you like Frankie Valley as well? Or Absolutely. You only like the Four Seasons. Okay. The, the, Just want the clarification. Jersey Boys, are you kidding me? Okay. Yeah, no, listen, I know your musical genres go all oh, across the man. board. So. They were so much better than the Beatles. Not even funny. Well, anyway, I, mean, I didn't think ahead. we were going to go down that road. I think they're very solid, whether or not they're better than very the Beatles. Very underrated. To each their own. Frankie yes. Valley and the Four Seasons, very underrated. I agree with you. Very underrated. I think that's a good way to put it. Okay. Yes. A quality group. There's no doubt about it. Probably doesn't get the recognition that it deserves. I Although, would say you know what it is? Day. They didn't play instruments. They only sang, and that's well, part of the problem. Listen, you sing. There's nothing wrong with that. No, I mean, no, but, you know, people who appreciate bands and, and label them as great, they got to play the instruments, too. And, of course, Frankie and the Four Seasons didn't. They only sang. So I understand that. This is but, now the producer of the program telling you guys to get back on topic, please. Okay. <laughs> All right. He opened the door for the Four Seasons. So, I mean, Sherry, God forbid we take three Sherry, minutes to talk about something Sherry. unrelated to football. I think the listeners ship will all be able to survive. I mean, Paul we only have an entire just started singing, Lance. See what you've done? I'm totally fine. Listen, this is the good side of Paul Dettino. I'd rather hear this than hear him complain about shoveling snow. There and you, you go. chiming in on that. So I'm not all complaining right. from that Let's standpoint. Let's go. Can I use Choice C and not hear from Paul Dettino at all? Well, that's also a good option, too. But there considering we don't have that option to go with right now, I'll take the latter uh, as opposed to uh, Give the number, the Lance. Options. Give the number. Yes. Yes, well, the number has already been given out. I think people know it by this yes, time. But, but before we get calls. to the phones let's get calls. Go, at 973-667-1960, let's get into some football-related topics. Number one, Marty Schottenheimer, who is very recognizable in NFL history for coaching four different teams. He coached the Cleveland Browns. He coached the Kansas City Chiefs. He was there for one season with Washington, probably should have been there longer, and then, of course, finished his career with the Chargers. People forget, Paul, he actually was with the New York Giants in the 1970s. For two seasons, he was the linebacker's coach, and then he was the defensive coordinator, and the most notable player that he helped start his career and pave a Hall of Fame path for him was, of course, Harry Carson. Yeah, you know, it's really ironic when you look at it that this is a guy who, you know, over the course of time, coached for what? The Browns, the Chiefs, the Redskins, and the Chargers, right? Those yeah. were the four teams he was a Correct. head coach for. And and by the way, in speaking of the Hall of Fame, which just hit the news this past week with guys who were inducted, Schottenheimer is the only head coach with more than 200 career victories who is not in the Hall of Fame. And, and I'm going to tell you something. Here's what I don't get. 21 years as a National Football League head coach and only two losing seasons now i get it he never won a super bowl his teams had a lot of trouble in the playoffs he was victimized a couple of times by john elway we all know you know about that ernest biner had that that horrible fumble at the goal line uh, on one of those playoff games but but i mean come on two losing seasons in 21 years as an nfl head coach i i find it very hard to believe that he's not in the Hall of Fame. It blows my mind. But back to your original comment. Yes, in 75 when Bill Ornsbarger was the Giants head coach, he was named linebacker's coach. And then it was a year later the Giants wound up drafting Harry Carson in the fourth round uh, out of uh, South Carolina State. And we'll let Harry pick up the story from here because certainly it became a Hall of Fame career that possibly never could have happened. You get drafted by the Giants and Marty Schottenheimer takes you from the defensive line to becoming a middle linebacker. Mm -hmm. If you had gotten taken by another NFL team, maybe you don't get converted 
to middle linebacker. Do you ever think about that? Yeah, I, I think about it. And quite frankly, um, I'm very thankful that um, Marty really drafted me because they were in the he, – he told me the story. They were in the draft room. You had a first-round pick. They used that on Troy Archer. Didn't have a second. Didn't have a third. They had two fourth-round picks. They used the first fourth-round pick on Gordon Bell. And Marty, being a uh, linebacker coach, uh, he was given the choice of drafting any player that he wanted because they needed an inside um, run stopper. And he chose me. And when I came to the Giants, he sat me down and he, wanted, he told me he wanted me to come back and give the middle linebacker position a try. I'd never played middle linebacker in, in my life. And so he taught me how to play middle linebacker, the basic fundamentals of playing uh, middle linebacker. I was able to uh, learn that and um, just, you know, physically, I knew I, I could do it physically, but intellectually, that's a different story mm -hmm. because there's so much that you have to know. If you're a right defensive end, you know, you're coming down, you're making the tackle, whatever. Mike Linebacker is a different animal. And then you get to a point where you're responsible for the guys in front of you making the call, making changes, and so forth. And I was able to do that. So Carson becomes the middle linebacker for the Giants uh, as a rookie and makes the, the all-NFL rookie team. And he's got Van Pelt and Kelly on his uh, flanks as the Giants are running a 4-3 defense. And it was only a few years later when, you know, Kelly and Carson became the inside linebackers to Van Pelt and some dude named Lawrence Taylor in 1981. <laughs> and they converted to a 3-4. A and, Harry, the thing that, that I, I tell people all the time about Harry Carson is that not only was he an all-pro as a middle linebacker in a 4-3, he was also an all-pro as a inside linebacker in a 3-4. And that's, to me, what differentiates him from the Singletaries, the Ray Lewises, the, uh, the Dick Butkuses, the great inside or middle linebackers of all time who go to the Hall of Fame. Harry's the only one who was able to do it and excel at that level at literally two different positions because they are two different positions in two different schemes. But it's all because of, of what Marty Schottenheimer did, uh, insisting that Carson, who was a phenomenal defensive lineman at South Carolina State, I think he was All-American like twice, uh, converting him to uh, to middle linebacker. So that's the connection, and certainly our condolences to all who knew Marty, his friends and his family, and, and the Giants folks from, from back in the mid-'70s who, of course, were a part of his uh, – of his, uh, of his crew there on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, it just goes to show you how crazy it is in NFL history. Sometimes it takes one individual being able to interact with that individual, right? And then it sets the path of another career on a completely different road that nobody ever expected. So Schottenheimer put his stamp on Harry Carson's career. And then, you know, the other thing that I think is important to know with Marty Schottenheimer, and not so much with the Giants, but if you look at all the assistants, Paul, that served oh, under, my goodness. right, Marty Schottenheimer, and then went on to have great coaching careers themselves. Bill Cower was an assistant in Kansas City under Marty Schottenheimer. Many people don't realize that. Herm Edwards was on that same staff. That's another name that I think 
deserves a tremendous amount of recognition. Tony Dungy was on that Kansas City staff. I'm talking about the early 90s mm-hmm. when Schottenheimer took over after he was with the Cleveland Browns. And oh, by the way, do you know that Cleveland has not had anywhere near a four-year span since Marty Scheidenheimer left that organization in terms of the amount of success he had. Paul, they went to the playoffs all four years that he was the head coach. He took over in 84, midway through the season, after eight games. So 85 was his first full season as the Browns head coach. They made the playoffs all four years. They won the division title three years, and they had double-digit wins in three of those four seasons. Since... 88, which was his final season in Cleveland, because he then became the Chiefs head coach in 89. It wasn't like he was out of coaching for quite some time. Cleveland has had one division title, five winning seasons, three double-digit winning campaigns. So that just goes to show you more of a reason why he belongs in the Hall of Fame, I would argue, Paul. Because if you look at the impact he's had on a few of the franchises, specifically Cleveland, nobody's been able to match. They haven't recovered since they parted ways with Marty Schottenheimer. Yeah, I, I, I just don't understand it myself. Uh, it's It boggles the mind, and I actually think the Pro Football Hall of Fame has more obvious omissions than even the Baseball Hall of Fame. We all talk about Gil Hodges as the poster child for the Baseball Hall of Fame or is it, that have been left out. In football, there are quite a few, and Schottenheimer's got to be at the top of that list. I want to read one note to you came on Twitter, and then and then we'll let this go, but certainly another Giants connection. Dan Shanka of our lad scouting services, who was a longtime NFL scout in personnel department with a number of NFL teams. He and we've had on this show multiple many times. times. He's yeah. a dear friend of Giants.com. And and he has this one tweet that I want to read this out because it, again, it just shows you how things are so intertwined in the NFL. I quote him now. He says, one piece of knowledge that Marty Schottenheimer dropped on me at Washington. Remember now, we just spoke that Schottenheimer was a head coach with Washington for one year. They were 8-8 that season. That was 2001. Right. Shock at that time was working with Washington. All right. So he says um, there was an undrafted rookie free agent linebacker that Shaka wound up signing out of the University of Arizona. He was the most instinctive and football-smart linebacker that he had been around in 30 years, so said Schottenheimer. That rookie starter was Antonio Pierce, who later wound up with the Giants as a free agent, and now we know he's assistant head coach and defensive coordinator for Herman Edwards at Arizona State. So another kind of weaving your way through the maze connection to the Giants. Schottenheimer's the guy who brought Antonio Pierce into the NFL who now is coaching with Herm Edwards at Arizona State as the defensive coordinator, which also goes to show you what a small world the NFL is. But it's another example of the relationships that players build with coaches then later on in life becomes beneficial because maybe another door opens for you because of somebody you played or a different coach you played for that has a connection to a different coach because he was part of that coaching tree. It's a small world. I mean, I know the NFL environment history is large because there's so many impactful individuals, but it's amazing when you connect the dots, everybody pretty much is entangled to some capacity. It's really the six degrees of everyone connects to then somebody else. Yes, and it's one of the reasons why when we talk about this current Giants coaching staff and Joe Judge and all of the tentacles that reach back to Belichick and Saban and to some degree Parcells, it's one of the reasons why we, we do bring that up in conversation so often because we have seen over history in this league 
that those things, more often than not, do carry some value. No doubt about it. Well, here's the other thing that I think is important to highlight, because I think when you hear about, oh, this one's bringing in their friend, or he's a friend of a friend, I guess that turns off some people. But just think about this. If you're a coach in the National Football League, or I would even say in college, it wouldn't make sense to then bring in individuals that you've had some tie to or history to, because A, they know your vision already, so therefore they can assist you in implementing what you want to see across the board. That's number one. Number two, if I have individuals working underneath me, not only do I want them to work with me in conjunction with me, Paul, but I also want there to be an established trust, which means that I've spent enough time with them that they're not going to be after my job. They're not going to be looking to oust me. They're not going to be talking to other people behind my back. Something to that degree, I think that's important. So that's why you see a lot of coaches, they bring in individuals they already know for that very reason. It's not to say that it's not good to have individuals that you don't know because they bring new ideas. They look at things through a different lens. I think that's always a positive. But I think the reason why more often than not coaches turn back to the direction of individuals they have established relationships with is to once again have that trust already established and built in so it's one less thing you have to overcome Mm -hmm. while you're trying to put together a team. No, I don't think there's any doubt about that, especially when a guy comes into a new situation. So we are moving along here on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with you, focusing on the passing of NFL legendary coach Marty Schottenheimer, his ties to the New York Giants. We'll get into some other NFL-related topics as we move along here. 973-667-1960 is the telephone number. And a reminder that Big Blue Kickoff Live is brought to you by the New York Lottery, the new X-Series of scratch-offs from the New York Lottery. Now you can multiply your winnings up to 200 times. Please play responsibly let's open up the phone lines and we check in with big ed in maryland what's happening big ed hey guys how you doing all right what do you got for us great 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 super bowl great Great super bowl you would describe that as a great super bowl okay that's one (laughs) way to look at it yeah because it just reminds you of 42 when you saw it i mean I, i was looking at i was in like total shock it's like Almost the same scenario. They undermined the, the little team while the big team got all the attention and notoriety, which rightfully so. Well, Tampa know. Bay was a really good. good team this season. Right. A lot of talent, played their best football late in the year. I mean, I didn't really think mm-hmm. it was a David versus Goliath matchup. As dominant as the Bucks' defense was, and they deserve a hell of a lot of credit, that Tampa Bay team had a lot of big playmakers all season long. Yes. They did. They definitely did. Okay, now on to us. I just want to give a quick spill, and we're going to leave it at that because y'all got a lot of other calls to do and stuff. So, okay, first season, Coach Judge. All right. The good news is you made it through because it was a tough season anyway. Another good thing, even though it was bad, no, I have to say it's bad. You lost too many games, way too many, and it's good that you end up fixing the bleeding near the end, which is great. I feel like Daniel Jones did a good job, but I know he can do a better job. And that's what's going to be next season, doing a better job with better equipped guys to do the right job to get things done. I'm personally afraid of Saquon 
because he's been through this injury a couple of times, and it's been a minute since he's been through a whole season. So everybody's going to have their eyes on that. As long as he's healthy and run, and don't do a lot of jumping. Just you got to do the north and south running. But the most important part about that, that running, that blocking has to be there for him because it can't miss blocks that cause a lot of mistakes. Um, really sad to hear about Marty. I didn't know. Marty was one of the best coaches I've ever seen coach the game by far. This guy had it. And we're really missing a good one with him because he should have stayed a giant. He should have came back and became a Giants coach, but management didn't see it that way, so I understood. Um, what else do I have? I miss you guys. Um, this has been a great year. Just been, let's just continue to stay healthy, be all right. Lance, you're you're a workaholic. <laughs> you get that phone well, you're call. really covering everything on this phone call, Todd. <laughs> We're going everywhere. I got to, man, because I've been wanting to call you guys for the last couple of weeks, but I've been dealing with some stuff. And then every time I'm trying to call, I can't get through. And it's like been rough. So I'm just going to quickly get it to rest in and, you know, call it in. Um, yeah, man. Great season. Tell Fiegs and say hello. What's up, Big John? I hear you back there. Um, we're going to tweak everything that we need to work on. Oh, I didn't want to forget this. We got to get that tight end from Florida. He <laughs> will be an absolute monster. We got to get him. Getting, not getting him, or I'll put it like this if we can't get him because somebody else got him before us, I'll check back with y'all on that and see who it should be. Because right now, by far, that tight end looks like he can cause so many problems, especially if he can run block and catch. He can cause a lot of problems with defenses, for real. That's it. All, All right, Big Ed. Love you guys. Good, good to hear from you, man. Take healthy. it easy. Appreciate the phone call. You got it. He's referring to, obviously, Kyle Pitts yes. as the uh, tight end, in case anybody didn't necessarily pick up on that. We've talked about him a lot, uh, even towards the tail end of the season, because a number of callers have been focused in on him. And I expected that to be the lead of his call, not the back end. <laughs> well, he eventually got to it. So one way or another, we were able to jam-pack a lot into that phone call. I've said this time and time again. I'm not big on position-focused. I think if he is on the board when the Giants pick 11th, he is certainly somebody worthy of the conversation. But it's dangerous when you start focusing in on one player and one player only when there's going to be plenty of quality players, I would argue, that should be still on the board for the Giants to choose from who could very well help the offense if that's the direction they want to go. But there's still room for them to add another defensive playmaker, depending, of course, what happens in free agency. You can't feel as if the defense is a finished product, that the only thing to focus on this offseason is the offense. No, there's no question. And again, Lance, as we've said a thousand times or maybe even a gazillion times, free agency is first. And so let's see how that shakes out. But I will add one thing, and I haven't really had an opportunity to mention this during the course of our shows the last two months. I like the depth of tight end in this draft. Kyle Pitts is by far, by far the most complete most dangerous, most dynamic tight end prospect in this draft, and the only one of the tight end prospects who was a lock, I think, to be in the first round, and in fact, I think a lock to be in the top ten. Okay? But beyond that, I, I see, and I, you, you know, you know I always got my eye on tight ends. That's, that's one of my specialties. I'm a big guy on sleeper tight ends. I got another half a dozen tight ends, in all honesty, 
that I could see drafted by the end of the second day and maybe even early in the fourth round on the third day who could all be very productive NFL players at the position. So if you feel as though the Giants have one year left with Evan Ingram and they're going to need another tight end one after this season and you'd like to go and get one now, there are guys, trust me, there are guys in this draft that you can get without spending a premium draft choice to pick one up. Well, I bring up Darren Waller a lot. Happen to be a big fan of his game. And Waller was not a household name when he entered the NFL. Remember, he was somebody that the Ravens found. And then all of a sudden, the Raiders did their homework and the Raiders grabbed him and the rest is history. Mm -hmm. So that's not to say that you get your tight end that way every single season. Okay, that's not my point. I understand that when you pick high and you have an opportunity to get a playmaker, you take the playmaker. But there's a variety of tight ends that you could point to in the NFL, both now and in the past who have not necessarily taken the conventional way to become a household name. No, no, no question. Absolutely no question. And, you know, <laughs> let's not forget, over the years, all of these free agents who have found their way onto NFL rosters, well, given that tight end is not usually regarded as a sexy position, you can get undrafted free agent tight ends who are going to make your team and make contributions. And it also depends on what you're asking the tight end to do within your offense, yes. too. I think that's no a big question. part of the conversation. Absolutely. Because if you have an offense where you want the guy to just run out with routes and catch the ball, okay. But if you want him to be a two-way tight end, maybe that subscribes more value to the player. So I think you really need to ask yourself that, depending on how you utilize the tight end. And every team's different. No team utilizes tight ends the same way. So that's really to each their own type of an equation. And the Giants, I think you brought up a good point, Paul. Regardless of Evan Engram and his outlook for the 2021 season, given the fact that he's entering the final year of his rookie contract, it's still something you want to think about because if you don't bring him back beyond the rookie contract, you are going to need somebody to fill that position. So that's why this is an interesting, I don't want to say turning point, but I guess an interesting season with respect to you're entering a critical decision with respect to the guy you drafted a few years ago has an expiring deal, and there's no guarantee you know how the 2022 offseason is going to play out. And I always say this, when you draft a player in 2021, it's not just what the guy's going to do in 2021, it's what the player's going to do over the course of the next few years. Because especially a first-round pick, four years plus the fifth-year option. So the Giants it would not hurt them if they were thinking beyond 2021 if they went down the road of a tight end position. Not at all. Not at all. I mean, Caden Smith is a, is a good player, but he's not a tight end one, and I don't think he projects to be a tight end one on, on anybody's roster. I think he's, he's, he's suited very well to be a tight end two. Uh, so, you know, if, if you want to draft your 2022 tight end one this year, uh, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. Again, it is not a premier need for this season right now, so I'd probably be much more willing to do so in rounds three or four if I thought somebody could project to that. But, I, you know, and again, if, if they take pits, let me tell you something, Lance. If they, if they take him at number 11, 
you can't shake your head at it. No, because, not at all. Because of the, the value and the, and, and the production that he has shown in college and his skill level, if he is the best overall player on their board at 11, you got to tip your cap and say, okay, fine. You just got yourself a very dynamic player. And another weapon that could help Daniel Jones, which I think sure. is something that no matter what position they play is a step in the right direction. Limited giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seat starting at just $100. Call 888-NYG-1925. That's 888-NYG-1925. Or you could visit giants.com slash tickets for more information and don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching giants games and world-class concerts in 2021 as a giant suite partner limited full season locations are available or you can place a deposit for individual games you can also call 888 nyg 1925 or visit giants.com slash suites for more information as we move along here on tuesday's edition of big blue kickoff live Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you. Let's head back to the lines. Coach Marvin is in Delaware. What's happening, Coach Marvin? How you doing, Lance and Paul? Hi, Coach. Doing all right. What's on your mind? Uh, I just wanted to go on the last call, what you guys was talking about in the draft. And, um, you know, you both, as normal, are right. Um, Lance, you, you, you don't pick somebody because that's what you need. Uh, you want to pick the best person that deserves to be the left pick overall. So you you don't want to leave that on the table where you pick someone just because you need them and the best player gets picked behind you. Um, because if, I like Pitts, but you have to think if one of those three top receivers are sitting there at 11 and Pitts, I don't know which one of those guys I would want to take. I'd probably take a chance on the uh, receiver over um, Pitts. Well, I also think it depends on what the Giants feel in terms of the drop-off. So, for example, if Pitts is far and beyond the best tight end and the next closest guy is a second-rounder, whereas the wide receivers, there's not as much separation, I think that makes an argument why you take the tight end because then you can't come around to the second round and get somebody who you feel is at or near equal talent. Right. Well, you're right. I mean, it's... It depends on how the person who's doing the pick um, draft feels in that situation. We, I mean, you're right, but you can you can think that in other ways. In my sense, is if Waddle is there and Pitts is there, in my opinion, I would go with probably Waddle, which I did tell that to Paul. That's who I liked uh, out of the three. Now, does that injury a, history Paul, hurt you, Marvin, at all? Does that bother you at all? Is what? Does his injury history bother you? I mean, look, no, Coach no. Marvin, I, I, I've done this before. I'm going to make this real quick because I know people have heard me say it, so I don't want to repeat it too often, but we'll say it more going up to the draft. There is a one-to-five grade that every player gets coming into the draft. It's a medical grade. Five is pristine. Four means he's had some type of surgery, although it could have been a minor one that they don't think is going to be a problem moving forward. Waddle, at best, is going to be a grade four. He's not a grade five. He's, he's, he's had an ankle problem. He's had a surgery. So he's a grade four, which is going to which is gonna take him down a notch, right? I mean, right. Right. It's, it's something right. you have to consider. You do have to consider it. You do, and, and you're right. But if, if I believe in him in my heart, then I, I would take that chance. Well, yeah, you, you, you darn I well believe. better be assertive and confident <laughs> at 11. You right. better not have a doubt and about I a believe. guy. 
and that's with the medical people being involved, which they are. Yep. And if everyone absolutely involved, and I'm sure they all are going to be involved if he's somewhere around in there, and the other two are gone. If it's Chase, you'll take Chase if he's at the 11th pick. Um, but you know, I'm not I'm not locked in to these guys to any of them. And, you know, I'm just looking at it from the outside. Um, but you were talking about the uh, the tight end depth and and. I would like to hear y'all do a, something like a 10-minute segment where you're talking about guys people are not really um, looking at in the draft. Because a lot of times we get caught up in the people at the top of the draft rather than the middle of the draft. I like looking for those diamonds in the rough. That's, that's the way I coach. I already knew what the good players were. Those players that I didn't know, I wanted to know what kind of talent they had. And I could utilize that because other teams may not have seen them in their lower grade as a freshman or a sophomore. So if I bring them in as a junior or they're coming in as a sophomore and they're, and they're diamond in the rough, I can utilize those guys. So I'm, I'm used to doing that. And the one I'm looking at, uh, based on what you were talking about, Paul, how deep the tight ends are, I like Jake Ferguson of uh, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Well, Wisconsin, as you know, their first yeah. their first uh, priority for any tight end is that he blocks. Yes, and because they're actually, if you look at their offensive line, it's what they man, do. They and um, so he he he's very. Uh, I like his size. He, he's a good blocker. He's he's one of those seam down the seam type guys that you like, Paul, and mm-hmm. I do like also. And um, and I, I think uh, you can get him late in the rounds. You can get him, no doubt. Maybe top of the fourth round, you mm-hmm. might can get him. Um, and that that's the guy I'm looking at is is Ferguson. When it comes to the tight ends, I do like tight ends, and uh, that's the one I like. So I just want to throw my uh, two cents. He would five. definitely be one of those guys on my latter day radar. Let's just put it that yeah. way. I don't want to give away all my names this early. <laughs> no. You know, Coach That's Marvin, right. as we get closer to the draft, through. I'll do yeah. more of that. But I, I, I suffice it to say, I have a full handful of tight ends that I would be very interested in. Well, don't mention them all, Paul. Because no, I'm not going to give them away. No, yeah, you know what's going to happen. Some other team's going to take them, just like the That's Niners right. took Kittle away from me too. Yeah, yeah. Then the, the other team would take them. Every time you do this, every year, some other team takes the player before the Giants. Uh, I know. You're looking for so kiss of death. No, I know. At least save two of them to the side. <laughs> okay, I'll you do that, Marvin. Thanks, five. Coach. Just All right, Coach. Me. Appreciate the phone All call. Right. I mean, we got a long time, remember. The draft's not until April. So, yes, we you know, do. We're not yes, going to we necessarily do. go over uh, everything on the platter no, no, well no, before no. the draft. We'll have plenty of time to delve into uh, various positions and schools, as we always do each and every offseason. So, you know, I mean, the bottom line is you also feel the Giants are thinking what they have currently on the roster and what will complement what they currently have on the roster. So if they feel they need a tight end who's more a pass catcher, then maybe they're willing to sacrifice the blocking entity and utilize and rely on somebody else to help in that department. I mean, I look at the Super Bowl, okay? Tampa Bay was a team that invested in a lot of different tight ends. Why? Because they play various tight end formations, but they are fine with saying, hey, one tight end's going to stay in and block, and the other tight end's going to go out and run routes. Gronkowski, there are times where he was a target in the end zone of the Super Bowl, and then there was other times where they had him at the line of scrimmage, and he took on defensive ends 
and mm-hmm. without any hesitation was handling his own. Now, I granted, everybody's not built like Gronk, and everybody's not going to be able to match up one-on-one with defensive ends. I get that. But you can get away with having multiple tight ends on your team, and you ask them to do a specific role as opposed to have one guy that you can rely on doing everything. There's multiple ways you could build your roster. And more often than not, some teams say, we'll take three or four guys. The three or four guys will combine to do everything we need from that tight end position. Yeah, it's a shame you have to do that sometimes, but you do. Uh, because hey, if it works, are, it works. Yeah, the guys are more specialized. You'd love to be able to have that one guy like a Mark Bavaro who can do everything or a Gronk who can do everything. Uh, it's just not always that case. Interesting about Gronk, too, coming out of retirement, wins the Super Bowl with Brady. Uh, I just saw him with Michael Strahan on ABC doing an interview saying that he feels as fresh and as good and as healthy as he's ever felt, and he plans on continuing to play. So good for the NFL that a guy like that stays around. Durability is one of the most overlooked statistics because there's really no way to compute it other than if you just look and see whether or not a player plays all 16 games every season consistently. So, mm-hmm. hey, if there's a way for these guys to carve out roles on teams late into their careers, more power to them. And you know Brady and Gronk have very good chemistry because they set the all-time postseason record yes. for the most connections <laughs> in the last Super Bowl. So I'm sure Tom Brady's not telling Gronk to hang it up so quickly again. Come back and... Give them an opportunity to try to win it all over again. Giants fans get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with a Giants branded debit card. Security features and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants member FDIC. And the New York Giants at Quest Diagnostics want our fans to come back stronger than ever. Now you can order your own lab test through Quest Direct to get the health answers you need most. As we move along here on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live on the Super Bowl subject, I know John and Jeff spoke about it on yesterday's program, but one of the things that I thought the Super Bowl emphasized is here we go where you could have one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the NFL, in Patrick Mahomes, and when the environment around him, Paul, is not ideal, meaning the offensive line doesn't pass protect well, they don't have receivers that make the difficult, highly contested catches, which has been happening pretty much all throughout his tenure, even the most efficient quarterback in the current NFL scheme of things can have a rough game, which just goes to show you You can only play superhero so much every single game. There's going to be a game where it all doesn't click, and the cape alone doesn't work, and you have a struggle, and you can't get into the end zone. And here was the latest example where instead of focusing just solely on the quarterback, you can't dismiss the other factors around the quarterback. So we talk about this a lot with Daniel Jones and the Giants and Eli Manning. It's no different than any other team across the NFL landscape right now. Look, when, when I talk about the spider web or the dominoes that are on the table, it, it, it's in every facet of the game. It's, it's about the units that intertwine with each other. It's about players that intertwine with each other. It's about the business that intertwines with each other. That, it's, that's what makes the National Football League the greatest league uh, uh, that mankind has ever known. Bottom line, that's just the way it is. And by the way, Coach Marvin, I know you're still listening out there. Uh, I was just taking a glance to see if uh, I could pull something up on my notes on Ferguson. He's going back to school for another year. He decided that he will play at Wisconsin this fall, so we can take him off of our list as a guy that we wanted to look at. You mean you don't at. want to preview the 2022 NFL draft before we don't do want, the 2021 yeah, no, NFL It's draft? a little too early for that, Lance. A little too <laughs> early for that. But, uh, yeah, yes. I just I just took my big 
big black marker and just crossed his name right off of my list right now. Done. Sorry. <laughs> no longer on the radar. <laughs> so that's an extra early preview that we just received. Well, I just got one less guy I got to dig into yeah. deeper film on. That's all. It's, uh, one less guy. That's all. There little, you go. A little extra time to have that, uh, that ham sandwich maybe one day. <laughs> yeah. Well, but getting back to the point at hand in terms of the quarterback position, not that I ever want to see a guy like Patrick Mahomes struggle or you're asking for that to happen so that it could further highlight a point, but I've seen it more often than not where even the greats, and if there's any quarterback that we talk about that probably has the ability to overcome most obstacles, unlike other QBs, where if you have a rough game with your offensive line, Mahomes is able to wiggle his way out of it because he can extend plays. He just, even with him doing that, it still wasn't enough. And, and the other thing that I think is important that I don't think enough people are discussing in the wake of the Super Bowl is as important as the front seven is, the pass rush. You always want to be able to get after the quarterback. I thought the Bucks secondary played outstanding. And I don't think that unit, even the history books, is not going to do that unit enough justice and enough credit. Because Mahomes was extending plays. He was doing everything in his power to try to overcome the pressure that was coming his way consistently. And even after he would extend play after play after play and try to throw it down the field, notice there were not many guys that had wide open opportunities. There was always a defender in the vicinity deflecting a pass, getting a hand up. I think that speaks volumes of how well-prepared the safeties and the corners were for the Bucks to be able to defend on the back end. Now, granted, Paul, I will argue, when you can rush with four, it enables Todd Bowles to keep an extra defender back. So that was a nice luxury tab. But even yes. with the extra defender, I thought those guys were very consistent in terms of sticking with the Tyreek Hills, the Travis Kelseys, and so forth. So kudos to the Bucks secondary. That group deserves just as much credit as what the guys up front did chasing after Mahomes. Uh, three things, Lance. Number one, I will say I thought Kansas City did a very poor job of, even though they were behind and they, they did feel the necessity to throw the ball too much, I did think they got away from the running game a little bit too early. I thought I thought they did not, did not, make enough use of the quick-hitting passing game either. And that's one of the things. When you know the other team, you know, you can certainly max protect if you know the other team is getting heat on your quarterback. But one of the other things you can do is much more quick hitters. And they didn't do that. They kept asking their guys to run downfield, and they kept putting more pressure on their offensive line, saying that the Holmes is going to need time to throw the ball. And they didn't have time to give them which made absolutely no sense to me. So, again, philosophically, big game. I'm sorry, but I thought Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy on the offensive side of the ball did a very, very poor job in the Super Bowl. The other two the... things I would add. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, the trenches, as always, and you've heard me preach this ever since I've been doing this program, the team that won the trenches on both sides of the ball won the game because it will always start in the trenches. And what none of us, I believe, who picked Kansas City counted on was that the Chiefs' offensive line would be totally non-functional. We thought they would at least be okay. Even if you wanted to give credit to the Buccaneers' front, you thought that, the, or at least I think most of us who picked KC, felt that the Chiefs' O-line would be functional. It would be sufficient. Well, they played like a wet Kleenex on Sunday. They were horrific. <laughs> 
nightmarish would be an appropriate word. And then the third thing that I would like to say about this Super Bowl is that when you see guys, albeit difficult plays, you got Kelsey dropping a huge third down conversion. You got two guys who had football passes hit them in the face mask and not come down with plays. See, that to me is is a hidden. Remember, they're empty plays. They're not negative plays. They're empty plays. Empty plays. When your guys at that level in this important of a game don't make those plays for your quarterback, you suffer the consequences. Sure. And the Chiefs, in my opinion, not only did the offensive line let Mahomes down, his targets also let him down because they did not make a single play above the X's and the O's on the other end of his passes. Not a single one. And usually they make a few of those every Sunday. And so that, again, I go back to the Dan Reeves phrase, play above the X's and the O's, or, you know, just make a play. It means the same thing. The Chiefs' skill position players did not make a play. And, you know, this is what you get. They, they, what would they bring their D game as a team on Sunday to, to, that, to that field? Now, the Buccaneers played terrific, and they deserve everything they got. They earned it. But the Chiefs played like their D game. I don't think anybody anticipated that the Chiefs would play so incredibly poorly. It looked like a game in the second week of August. It was a preseason caliber football that they put on the field. Kansas City should be embarrassed by what they did on Sunday. Well, especially the fact that they didn't have to travel to Tampa until the Saturday before the game. So, you know, you had the luxury of being at your own facility, right? You didn't have to worry about the distractions and the typical structure and setup of a normal Super Bowl. So you figured, hey, this is great, right? How nice is it for Kansas City that after all you went through this season, now you can stay back, you sleep in your own bed, you come to the facility, you treat it like any other week. You figured that would be a huge advantage, and it did not. I think my biggest surprise was getting back to your point about the offensive line. Mike Remmers and Andrew Wiley, who took over a tackle, were guys that have played all season. Okay, This wasn't two rookies that they promoted, Paul, from the practice squad. Stefan Wisniewski, who then slid over to right guard. This is an individual that helped the Eagles win a Super Bowl a few years ago and has been a quality veteran offensive lineman. So the guys they were relying on as they moved things around were not unknown players or players that have never been there before. I think that was probably the biggest surprise. The other thing that I would argue, Kansas City, even with all the injuries they went through this season, were very good at allowing the running backs and the tight ends to help the offensive line. I didn't see a lot of that. I didn't see many times where the running back and the tight end served as the security blanket. Now, part of that was, I think, maybe by the time Mahomes snapped the ball, it seemed as if somebody was chasing after him. So even if you wanted the running back and the tight end to help, they needed to be alert the minute the ball was snapped because if you were half a step off, good night. Mahomes was going to have to be chased out of the pocket. Well, Every let me ask single you something, play, Lance. He was Before we go out. anywhere else, let me ask you something. Yeah. How many times did you see either the quick hit, the hot read, the check down, the wide receiver screen? I'm talking about quick developing short pass plays. How many times did you see that out of the Chiefs on Sunday? Not very much. No, not very much at all. And you I did do... not see anybody pick up the extra, the, the, the extra pressure in the backfield. Not once. And that was the most disappointing. Correct. The last point you brought up. That was extremely disappointing. I I, could not agree with you more. 
I did remember seeing a screen or two, but I also thought Tampa Bay did a great job reading it well, and there was nowhere that they were going to find yeah. an opening. I also so you think give the, up on it for the whole game? No, no. Point well taken. I would not give up on it just because Tampa Bay read it very well. The other thing that I noticed, now I'd have to go back and watch the film in a little bit more detail, but I did notice throughout the game the Bucks corners were also doing a really nice job jamming the guys at yes. the line. Yes. And maybe, Paul, that was why they felt they didn't have enough of an opportunity for some of those quick hitters. It wasn't as if Tampa Bay's secondary was playing off of those guys. No, no. You knew every time Hill and Kelsey got off the line, I felt they had to deal with a bump here or there. So They did. But then again, there's always that, uh, you, you know what they say, uh, it's not a pick, it's a rub route. <laughs> How many of those did you see? No. And you that's know, why you really I think it's a fair point. If you really want to get somebody off your back at the line of scrimmage, what do you do? You run a rub route. Sure. I, I don't remember seeing the Chiefs run those. No. There was very little adjustment you know, going on. Offensive head coaching genius. Game. Nice job, pal. Uh, well, I thought, he, hey, I thought he came up big time small on Sunday. I still think Andy Reid is a heck of a coach. I understand every time he's gone into the big game, it hasn't necessarily come through for him. But I'm not going to dismiss all of the regular season games and no, the consistency no, 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 no. But of this what he's done with that case, it was, it, was, it was not good. It was, it was really substandard, and, you know, it makes you believe that maybe the year before was an aberration because his history of, of in-game decisions, play calling, philosophy, time management has always been questioned in the most important moments. And they, I'm sorry, but his offense particularly came up very small Sunday. Well, I will tell you the biggest difference, if you were to ask me to compare – Last year's Super Bowl to this year's Super Bowl because we had the same Chiefs offense for the most part. I mean, they had plenty of continuity. I know Damian Williams, who had a huge game last year, opted out. But it's not as if Clyde edwards Lair or somebody else hasn't been able to run the ball effectively. Is the way the Bucks secondary performed compared to the San Francisco 49ers secondary? Because if you go back, Paul, and you watch the fourth quarter of last year's Super Bowl, why Kansas City got back was, remember that deep pass he made to Tyreek Hill? Yep. Hill was able to come back towards the football, and then Mahomes made a number of other big-time explosive plays. That was completely lacking in the second half against Tampa Bay, and part of that was the Bucks secondary was so good that after you initially stay with your guy for the first five seconds, you're still with him for that sixth or that seventh second, whereas the Niners secondary lost track of guys they on did. the sixth and the seventh second, and that enabled Mahomes to make plays down the field. That, to me, is the biggest difference if you were to ask me to compare the two Super Bowls. Yeah. I, no, I, I would not have an issue with that. I don't think there's any doubt that the 49ers did not bring as much to the table to, for, the, uh, for the Chiefs to overcome as the Buccaneers did the other day. Again, I don't want to take credit away from the Buccaneers. They played very, very well. Sure. There's no question. I don't think we are taking away credit from this conversation. Very efficient, very clean, fundamentally sound. How many tackles did the Buccaneers miss? Maybe one all day? I mean, they were really, really sound. They played they played really, really clean football. And uh and that's to their credit, and they're the champs. But, you know, very let down by the Chiefs' offense. Defensively, I thought they were okay. I thought they were okay, you know, uh, enough that they, you know, it should have been a more competitive game if the if the Chiefs' offense had held up their end of the bargain. But, well, they were killed by penalties in the first half, uh, that defense. I uh, mean, that's what really brutal. killed the defense, Paul. Brutal. It wasn't as if they were lost, to your point, and it oh, looked as I if... Oh, I did. Come on, Honey Badger totally lost his composure. How many times was he out of position? 
That was well, terrible. But I think the penalties just ate at them mentally. It did. It, it almost it felt did. as if even when they thought they were in a position to make a play, you had Breland slip and then grab onto a guy. Or then you had another guy who he just couldn't mentally recover from the previous play. That's what it seemed to be, a domino effect, essentially. Yeah, they lost all their poise and composure on defense. And Spags was trying like hell to get them to get back into it. Remember, after the half had been over and they were going to start the third quarter, if you remember watching on television, Spags actually got right in front of Honey Badger on the bench and started talking to him. Now think about that. They've already had, what, 25 minutes, 30 minutes of halftime? to try to recoup, reorganize, get calm, you know, maintain their composure, regain their control. And obviously Spags knew that Honey Badger was was not with it because he had to go have a face-to-face conversation with him on the bench before they had the second-half kickoff. Now, you and I both know the middle linebacker and, and, and the safety, in this case, Honey Badger, the two most important components on that field to set up the defense. Spags knows he needs that guy. He's got to be playing his A game. And he was all over the place. He was horrific. And he lost his head. And he lost his cool. And he lost his composure. Why do you think Spags did that at the beginning of the third quarter? He's probably telling him, look, man, I need you. All right, get with it. I need you, and I need you now. And he just never got into the game. I thought, I thought Matthew was just terrible on Sunday. Big Blue Kickoff Live brought to you by the new X series of scratch-offs from the New York Lottery. Now you can multiply your winnings up to 200 times. Please play responsibly. Let's head back to the phone lines, and we check in with Charlie in Portland, Maine. What's happening, Charlie? Hey, guys. Hey, What's up? Uh, I think, uh, hey, Paul, I think Kansas City brought their G game. I think they played like the Giants' offense of the line in their – and their wide receivers dropping balls all over the place. I, I don't. I, I. And the thing is, with Honey Badger, you know, he had that interception, and then they called a penalty on the other side of the field where nothing's going on. I hate that call. I hate that call when there's when they go for a penalty when it's not even in the play area. It's like it's like in another field, and they call a penalty. That always bothers me. Well, I mean, listen, those are the rules. I get it, but it's not as if they went outside the rule book for that. No, but Charles, Char, hold I on know, a second. I, I jump I in here. It, but because if you go by that, then you would never call defensive holding. Because defensive holding or illegal contact in the secondary is called before the ball is thrown. So that penalty, by def- definition, will never be where the play is because you're calling it, be- because you're calling it before the quarterback throws the pass. Right. Right, I agree. Let's not have. Or that. there could be offensive holding on the opposite yeah, side of the line. Illegal contact, the defensive holding. No I know, I know, I know. But I hate that call when it's not even. So I think at that point, Badger just lost it. He had an interception. You know, totally turned the game around. I mean, they made so many penalties; it was just ridiculous. But anyway, I, I you know, I, I don't, you know, I'm not going to get into the game because and Mahomes oh, wasn't right. Oh. Holmes wasn't right. Is look, ninety nine out of a hundred, Kansas City would beat Tampa Bay every time, and that was the one game they didn't. Because if they had their attack, remember there was a ta- the tackle who opted out. You know, uh, the start of the season, the guy who the was Canadian doctoring. fellow. Yeah, you're talking about the guard. Yeah. Duvernay yeah, Tardy. Oh, he's a guard. Yeah. Okay, he's the a Canadian guard. fellow. Yeah. So yes, I mean, I they lost a lot. They lost a lot on their offensive line. Then they lost their two tackles. I mean, it's it's pretty hard 
to compete at that level when you're losing, you know, three, three out of five of your offensive linemen. So anyway, I, you know, and then Mahomes is told when he's got to have surgery, he wasn't right. He wasn't 100%. But anyway, I don't make excuses, but <clears throat> if they play Even him though you again, just listed 100 this... excuses, you don't make excuses. Yes, 100%. <laughs> Here's the bottom school... line, Charlie. The best yeah. team in football doesn't always win the Super Bowl. Okay, yeah, because exactly. there's I not agree. the best of seven series in the NFL like there is in the NBA. Yeah. So you don't have yeah, an opportunity to balance things out. And anybody who says that the Super Bowl winner is the best team in football is not necessarily looking at the season as a whole. It's the structure of the year and teams that get hot at the right point sometimes come out on top. The Bucks had not lost a game since they fell to Kansas City in week 12. They were the hottest team in football right now. Yeah. It's the hottest team, and it's also the matchup. And, you know, look, when I was a kid growing up, Charlie, and I know you and I can go way back with this now, as far back as black and white television and all those other things, I I always thought that, oh, the best teams make the playoffs, the best teams play in the Super Bowl, and the best team wins the Super Bowl. It was only after I started to, to, you know, become a reporter in the NFL and Bill Parcells and George Young and Bill Belichick and those guys taught me, no, no. It's not about the best team, even on any given Sunday. It's not. It's about the matchup. And that's when I first understood and learned that the National Football League is nothing but a collection of individual prize fights. It's like a boxing match every Sunday. How do you match up against your opponent? It's not if you're better than they are. It's how do you match up with them. That is the overriding factor. Yeah, and also the ref calling, calling penalties. I sure. mean, I don't know how many penalties was on were on. Blame Tampa the refs, Bay. absolutely. The the but, refs are terrible. No, no, They've ruined the game. They're yeah, they're part, awful. It's part of it. I'm not saying. I'm just saying it's part of the game. You know, well, that's I mean, the human element of the game. It is part of it. Sure. It's the human element of the game. There's refs in every sport. In hockey, I know. okay, they got the guys with the zebra shirts that skate around. You seen them yeah. before? In basketball, yeah. they got the zebra shirt. Every yeah. sport known to man has the human element involved. Yeah, except in basketball, they and they never call any fouls at the end of the games and playoffs. You know that they put it in their pocket. They, they do have that play. star power unwritten rule in the yeah. NBA. That yes, is true. They do. We, we've hey, seen a number of Hall of Famers, and we won't talk about certain ones. Guys, yeah, the, and we, we know twenty three, I think, who got a billion calls yeah, their way. It's amazing. Just By the way, off. what happened? Hold on, Charlie. <laughs> Let me settle this with Paul real quickly. Can you explain okay. to me in nineteen ninety three, Paul, after <laughs> Game Five that you're still annoyed about? Can you tell me what happened in Game Six? Can you can you tell me what happened? Because Game Five didn't end the it's series. It's not relevant, Charlie. But there was an opportunity, though, in Game Six to do something. <laughs> and what happened in that game? Now, guys, I rest I, my I, case. Hold on. Go ahead, Charlie. I, I yes. really think we're missing the whole point of the Super Bowl. I think what we proved is that Tom Brady is the biggest champion in any major sport over the last thirty years, with his seventh Super Bowl. So he yeah, surpasses Brady every play other defense. athlete. Football players don't deserve to be compared to in basketball terms of players. Being a champion, Paul, don't you about agree being with a that? champion? Absolutely, he's got seven rings. Nobody's taking that away from him. Yeah. But basketball players and football players don't have the same impact on a game. I would say it's even harder for the football player to do it because it's well, yeah, because you need sport. a lot of luck based on what your defense. So does. I think we have to unequivocally say that Tom Brady's the best player in any sport we've seen the last 30 years. Paul, don't you agree? I have no, no problem. I, I agree. <laughs> Listen, I understand what you guys are doing, and that's fine, but there's no rationale behind it, so that's fine. You, you can continue to do this. And in I'll, fact, and I'll, I'm going to go with number yes. two being Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> okay, and, and, and Wayne Gretzky was great in hockey, but Wayne Gretzky also is not necessarily known as a defensive-minded hockey player the last time I checked, okay? 
He had enforcers. <laughs> I remember, not? but Tom Brady did it with two different teams too, which is really, really difficult. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, I think I think Tom Brady takes that to the bank pretty easily. I think they should maybe do a 15-part documentary on him. Oh, I'm sure they will. There will be a 30 for 30 for him. Thoughts? Will Will there be something tomorrow? No. Oh. Will there be enough behind-the-scenes footage? Charlie, thank you for opening up this that can depends. of worms, man. Well, wait a no, minute. No, you opened up the can of worms. No, no, don't. You know what? I'll actually defend Charlie for the first time in the history of Big Blue Kickoff Live. You went there with Jordan, okay? You opened that door. There, he did there, not open there that is, door. There is in the NBA, more so than any of the other leagues, a star power effect on penalties that do or do not get called, or fouls, if you will. There's no doubt about that. It, it's just the way it is. And, that, and that's, you know. But, but I will say this, Charlie. You are right. And because of the quicksand of mediocrity to bring this back to football, there is little doubt that more games today are influenced by either significant injuries or non-calls or penalty calls in terms of the outcomes. More games are decided by that than there ever have been before because teams are literally packed into that quicksand. And it is unfortunate, but that's just the way it is. Well, but Kansas City's defense, in fairness, they had opportunities to make up for the penalties. Whether you agree with the penalties or not, and you think some of them are borderline, for example, did well, Kansas City not come- on the field goal, right? The offsides. Come on. Uh, Tampa gets the, the, the free taking the field goal off the board and then go in for a touchdown. Sure, That's inexcusable. That's on Kansas City. That's on Kansas City, 100%. Yep. But yep. the other thing I was going to say is Kansas City had that great goal line stand, right? Yes, they I did. mean, they stopped Tampa Bay four times. They did. So, you know, their defense was capable of saying, okay, hey, we got screwed. We committed mental lapses. Let's make up for it. And then later in the game, they didn't make up for it. And their offensive skill position players didn't play above the X's and the O's and make plays when they had to to try to keep their team in the game and they had to make that spectacular play, they didn't do it. 100%. And that was the difference in the football game, regardless of yeah. whether or not you agree or disagree with the officiating. Charlie, you want to finish up real quick? No, he's long gone. He's gone. Which is the okay. best decision we've ever made <laughs> in Big Blue Kickoff Live. Are you kidding me? Yes. I don't think By we need to way, follow Lance, up, Paul. Do yourself yes. a favor. It is National Pizza Day. Go out and have one with extra cheese, will you please? Okay, I like pizza. Well, what is that supposed to mean? Am I supposed to read into that? What are you well, trying you to say? Well, you always like my, my food commentary. Oh, so okay. No, I little, thought you were I'm going just, where mentally I love pizza. I'm, I'm giving you a pizza-friendly advice. It's okay. pizza day. Yeah, absolutely. That is a good way to celebrate pizza day by there you go. trying to get a slice in in some capacity. There's no doubt about that. All right, well, that is going to do it for us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll be back up and running again with Wednesday's edition at noon Eastern as we continue to focus on major NFL storylines and everything pertaining to the New York Giants. A reminder that Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by the New York Lottery. Get out there and play. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of the show and our entire podcast network brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, Podcast platforms everywhere and at Giants.com slash podcast. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday and always stay locked to Giants.com. Have a good one.